Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am David Rothkopf, your host, and I am joined today by Max Boot of the Council on Foreign Relations and the author of... Uh, a great new book called The Road Not Taken about Edward Lansdale, Rosa Brooks of Georgetown University, and Susan Hennessy of the Lawfare blog and of the Brookings Institution. Uh, of course, they all have many more affiliations than that, but in the interest of time, we won't spend the whole episode discussing all their affiliations. Um, Susan, first of all, congratulations. I think this is the first time you've been on since you've had a new addition to your family. And I guess the place to begin this discussion is, at the moment, who is keeping you up more late at night? The new arrival in your family or Donald Trump? You know, um, however little I am sleeping, I guarantee you that Paul Manafort is sleeping less. Um, So I think at the very least, we have to acknowledge uh, who is getting the least amount of sleep. Uh, Yeah, but I've I've been trying to take a little bit of a break from the, uh, the Trump roller coaster. Is that advised by your doctor? Just for, just for, for blood pressure purposes, you know, get, maintaining, yeah, achieving that critical, uh, critical distance from the uh, the ongoing circus. Well, you brought up Paul Manafort. Let's start there, and let's talk about the events of the past few days. So, um, last week, it looked like for a while um, that Manafort sidekick Gates was going to cut a deal, and then when it looked like he wasn't going to cut a deal. Um, Robert Mueller turned up the heat and dropped a whole bunch of more indictments on these guys. And lo and behold, um, Gates uh, pleaded guilty. And uh, in the same breath, practically, on the same day, a new indictment came out about Manafort. And Manafort then said, well, you know, I'm disappointed in my buddy for not going along with me on this, uh, but I, I, I believe, you know, in my innocence, and I'm going to fight for my innocence. Uh, in in a in a sort of statement that seemed to many readers to be directed at just one person, and that's Donald Trump. Is is that the only card that Manafort's got left to play at the moment? I mean, look, um, certainly if we look at the evidence that's in the superseding indictment, um, he's in big, big trouble. So I I guess you can consider sort of the Trump pardon card, that sort of that Hail Mary. You know, I mean, one of the things that's so astonishing about sort of the developments, particularly with Rick Gates, is so one of the things that Gates ends up being um, indicted for in the superseding indictment is lying during his proffer session, right? So that's whenever you go in with the prosecutors, you're trying to, to, uh, you're trying to hash out a plea deal and they 
say, all right, you know, tell us what you know. Um, you know, in uh, those proffer sessions, there, there's really uh, elaborate rules that govern them that basically say you're allowed to kind of tell the prosecutors everything that you know, and then they aren't allowed to use it against you. The only way you can possibly get in trouble based on the conversation you have during a proffer agreement, you're sort of immunized, you know, uh, to high heaven, is if you lie. It is the single stupidest, most pointless thing. Why would you ever lie during a proffer? And that's exactly what Rick Gates does. So I think that it shows that sort of the pattern of recklessness, of lying, of sort of disregard for the truth. One, it existed up until a month ago, right? This is a February 2018 proffer uh, agreement conversation that they were having. Um, and that, that that sort of that shared trait, sort of the, the lack of, I mean, I, I suppose even an incapacity for the truth is sort of is, is shared across the various individuals. You know, the other thing that it sort of signals that's, that's I think, significant significant for, uh, you know, significant for Manafort and significant for everybody um, is, you know, Mueller's insistence on prosecuting people for lying. You know, we've seen it take down Papadopoulos, Flynn, uh, you know, Gates, Manafort over and over again. If, if people are lying to the special counsel during the course of this investigation, you know, you know Bob Mueller's coming for you. Well, I think that's clear. And Rose, I heard you chuckling a little bit in the background there about um, Susan's <laughs> characterization of all these people. But Maybe there's another reason, you know, maybe may, maybe he was lying because he thought the best course of action was to take his chances lying because there are other stakes here. Can, I mean, is there a rational argument to be made for this somehow that might give us some insights into how this is playing out? Uh, not really a rational argument. I, I, I don't think it's. I think that liars always think that they won't get caught. There's plenty of wishful thinking, and and I, I think that has, uh, you know, then they get then they get backed into corners because they've already lied and they feel like they got to stick to the lies. I, I don't think that there's anything more to it than that. Max, as I as I look at this thing, um, you know the the the. the the, the case against Manafort and Gates was strongly in the spotlight last week. But the week before, the case against Prigozhin and the Russian troll farm and the 13 Russians was strongly in the spotlight. Um, probably um, there is another case out there about Russians hacking the DNC, which we haven't seen manifested in either one of these two cases. Um, beyond that, uh, you know, or within that, there may be cases involving people like Roger Stone, you know, collaborating with Guccifer, collaborating with WikiLeaks and, and, and that kind of thing. Uh, we haven't seen a case or anything pertaining to Jared Kushner uh, and some of his meetings yet. We haven't seen uh, anything pertaining to the ties of Trump, or for that matter, Wilbur Ross and other Russians and so on and so forth. And so, you know, it not only seems to me that the Trump White House's assertion that we are, you know, sort of nearing the end of this is beyond fanciful, uh, but that Mueller is very, very systematically building six, seven, eight different tracks, all of which lead back to the center. Is that your perception of this? Do you, as you watch this, what, what do you think the sort of level of jeopardy of the sort of the White House is right now? 
I certainly agree with your analysis, David, and I have to say that I'm amused by the caterwauling of all of uh, the White House people and of the Trumpkins and the land in general. Every time Mueller announces a new set of indictments or plea deals, they always say, oh, no collusion. Trump isn't personally named, so he's in the clear. Well, you know, uh, uh, you know, Mueller would not be much of a prosecutor in this case uh, if he began by uh, you know, putting the uh, the cart before the horse. I mean, he's got to establish the predicates for the crime. He's got to build up uh, the the indictments, flip people, and you know, he's already got a number of cooperating witnesses like uh, Mike Flynn, George Papadopoulos, now Rick Gates, uh, and you know, use their information to implicate higher ups. And uh, I certainly think that uh, that Trump and his uh, and his defenders should be quite worried because, I mean, you think about the seniority of the people who are flipping, like Rick Gates, like Mike Flynn. Uh, I think it's natural to think that Paul Manafort is going to be the next to go because with with Gates testifying, uh, Manafort is going to be in, in a world of legal hurt, as Susan was saying, uh, unless he decides to come clean too. And so when you have people this senior, including the president's former national security advisor, his former campaign manager, his deputy campaign manager. When people like this are in the crosshairs of the of the special counsel, and most of them are cooperating with the special counsel, I mean, who the heck are they providing information about? It's not going to be about coffee boys in the White House. Uh, you're, I think you're really talking about people like Jared Kushner, Donald Trump Jr., and of course, President Trump himself. Now, of course, uh, uh, Mueller has to go very carefully and not proceed perhaps in the way that other prosecutors would in other cases because he is facing the unique difficulty of trying to uh, prosecute somebody who can fire him and could also pardon all of the subjects of his investigation. And so I think he has to proceed very carefully and not spook Donald Trump into, into lashing out too early before uh, the net is wrapped around him. But I think that is what, uh, you know, what uh, what what Mueller is up to, and, and the big question in my mind is going to is whether he can nail Trump not just for obstruction of justice, which I think is a very strong case, but for collusion, and that I think is going to be harder to prove. Uh, even though I, I suspect that there was collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia, and we've seen some of it come into view. The difficult part is going to be to prove whether Trump personally was involved in that, and that's where the testimony of Flynn and uh, Papadopoulos, Gates, and potentially somebody like Manafort could be invaluable. Well, that's so. Good, I agree. Sorry, David. If I could just, I, I, I agree with everything that that Max said. I, I do think that there's one thing that we're all sort of missing. You know, each time there's sort of, hey, you know, hey, you know, does this prove collusion? Is the president personally implicated? And that's that. Each time one of these individuals, um, you know, is indicted for criminal conduct, even criminal conduct that's not related to Donald Trump personally, it is still a statement about Donald Trump that should be profoundly troubling to the American people. And that's that Donald Trump. Trump hired a campaign chairman who was running an ongoing criminal conspiracy during the presidential campaign. These are the kinds of people, these are the individuals whose judgment the president of the United States relies on, and, and he vests them with apparent authority first to speak on behalf of him as, as a candidate. And now, you know, there's, there's individuals that are still working in the White House that have the authority to speak on behalf of the United States. So I think each of the time we're seeing, you know, each, each new example 
example and really astounding new example, right? Like $75 million of laundered money we're talking about with, with Manafort and Gates. You know, that's a really powerful statement of the degree of criminality, the lack of judgment on the part of Trump and his senior staff. And it raises the big, big, big question of who is still in the administration that has this kind of liability either to criminal conduct or to things like blackmail. So even though, you know, it's, it's not a direct collusion question, I, I do still think each of these indictments are ultimately about Donald Trump personally. And if Susan I can just did. jump in very Sorry. quickly and just on top of what Susan said, the other thing that astonishes me is the degree and length of the criminality that Manafort and Gates were practicing. And you have to wonder, like, I mean, you know, Donald Trump talked about the swamp. I mean, these are quintessential swamp dwellers. And what would have happened if Mueller hadn't come along with these guys just gotten away with it for, as they had for years? And how many others like them are, are out there engaging in this kind of criminal action uh, in the guise of uh, lobbying and essentially, I think, protected by their political connections? I mean, to my mind, this is a bipartisan scandal that blows the lid off of these these dirty dealings that have been going on for years in Washington. Well, I, I think it goes further. It blows the lid off of I mean, a, a lot of what's going on in Washington. And indeed, there are a whole set of things that are going on right now that are not being investigated by Mueller that are clearly violations of the law. I had a question for you, Rosa, but did you want to say something well, first? Well, I, I just, I wanted to jump in with, with a, you know, gloomy comment, which is that I don't just why think... it's why you're here. <laughs> Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm here. Um, yes, of course, Susan is is right, absolutely right that the fact that his campaign was staffed with a bunch of criminals uh, really should make people raise some serious questions about Donald Trump and his judgment even if Mueller is never able to come up with any smoking gun that points directly to Trump himself. But I, I, I think it's important for all of us to remember that none of that is going to make an iota of difference unless uh, Congress decides that they're interested in holding this president accountable. Um, and that would probably require, among other things, a Democratic victory in the midterms, because I think we, we have it's crystal clear at this point in time that the nation is divided between a majority, thank God, a majority who already thinks Trump is either a criminal or consorting with criminals um, and who already think he's a terrible president for a you know, very wide variety of other reasons. Um, and then there is a minority, but a minority that for a variety of reasons, including the, you know, the, the nature of our electoral process, uh, maybe that includes Russian intervention, maybe that includes just the usual stupidity of Clinton supporters staying home and so on and so forth and the role of Bernie Sanders and you name it. The, the minority's got their guy in office and that's a minority that is to a great extent in a media bubble of their own where the same news that you and I look at and say, my God, you know, the evidence is mounting. Trump is surrounded by criminals and he probably is one they're getting that news filtered through something very different and it's not looking the same to them. And they're reading it as, aha, there's a partisan vendetta against him. It's all made up. It's not true. These poor fellows, they're getting a raw deal. And so it doesn't change what they think at all. Um, and the, you know, I do think that 
when it comes to Republicans in Congress, they are reading the same news that we're reading. They're not just in a bubble, but they have shown a uh, really impressive degree of spinelessness. Um, so, so this is all very. This is all a way of saying this is all very well to say that gee, Americans ought to look at this. And but, but a lot of them already do look at it that way, and the ones who don't probably won't. It's it. They will either have their guy voted out or not. Well, I think that's absolutely true. And there's a lot of discussion about, you know, the court of public opinion. But of course, in, in many respects, that doesn't matter. What matters is whether the law was broken and, and, and whether Mueller is going to be able to prove his case. Susan, I remember reading, you know, my legal training consists of articles I read someplace. And I remember reading in the Wall Street Journal many, many years ago, an article about a famous Texas trial attorney. And this famous Texas trial attorney Somebody tried to characterize the way he would approach something in a really kind of thorough way. And he said, you know, if he were defending somebody uh, who uh, against an accusation that the guy's dog bit the person, that he would first of all say that the dog did not bite the person. Secondly, he would say that the other guy provoked the dog to bite the person. And then thirdly, he would prove that the guy didn't even own a dog. In, in other words, he would try to tackle this on, on many different levels. And I feel a little bit like we ought to do that around one issue right now, which is in, in collusion. I don't want to get too bogged down in it. But first of all, focusing on collusion exclusively uh, or the Trump team talking about collusion is a distraction because there are a whole host of other offenses and, of course, Collusion itself is not actually a specific crime. Um, but secondly, I think one can make a fairly strong case that there's a ton of evidence that collusion happened, whether it's a crime or not. You know, that it, it, it may have happened before the fact. It almost certainly has happened after the fact because Trump and a bunch of other people knew about Russian intervention, welcomed the intervention, defended the Russian intervention, have not taken action against the Russian intervention, and have rewarded the Russians for intervening. But I just thought I would go to each of you and talk about those two points. Is collusion a distraction? And do you think we have a strong case to make for it? So I don't think collusion is a distraction. I think it's one thread of a five or six thread investigation that that Mueller and in theory the congressional committees are probably pursuing, right? So in addition to sort of the active measures campaign on the Russian side, uh, financial crimes, you know, right? There, there's any number of, uh, of different things that they're going to be looking into. I, I, you know, so I don't know that it's, you know, it's something that, oh, you know, never mind, don't look over there. I, I think there are serious questions, including serious questions about sort of what we all saw, you know, with our own eyes. I think this gets to your to the larger point that I think you're making, which is there's been sort of so much obsession on the covert or the secret or unearthing something um, that we've overlooked a ton that has unfolded sort of right in front of all of us. And that's true both for the Russia investigation. It's also true for sort of basic ethics and, uh, you know, basic basic ethics violations. So if you think about the fact that sort of foreign governments, you know, lobbyists are essentially bribing the president of the United States through his hotel, right, through, uh, you know, preferential treatment for his children, Don Jr.'s, you know, trip to India this week, you know, these just 
unbelievable acts of corruption, this, this just grotesque kleptocratic impulse that, that is, you know, as damaging to the United States as anything, uh, you know, that we're seeing on the Russian side or, or, or should be as big of a deal. All of that is unfolding essentially in plain view. And people are so intent on, because there's a, there's such a shamelessness at the top, um, you know, there's not even an attempt to hide, you know, lots and lots of this bad stuff. People are are so focused on sort of, you know, hey, we, we need to find out the secret thing. And if they aren't trying to hide it, then it must not be bad. I, I really do think that that is allowing this administration to get away with, you know, just a, an incredible amount, uh, you know, the, the past administrations that you, you couldn't even conceive of past administrations doing this stuff. Max, I, what's your I, take? I agree with that. And I mean, it is striking the extent to which, you know, uh, Richard Nixon went to the extent to which he went to to try to hide his conspiracy, his attempts to obstruct justice, all his other criminal acts. And those only really came out with the release of the secret uh, White House tapes and, of course, the testimony of John Dean and others. Whereas today, Trump is doing all this stuff in plain sight. I mean, he's uh, bragging about how he had to get rid of uh, Robert Mueller because of the Russia thing, which is tantamount to a confession of obstruction of justice. Uh, you know, during the campaign, he was saying, I love WikiLeaks. And hey, Russia, if you're listening, please hack into Hillary Clinton's emails. I mean, he's basically bragging about uh, his desire to collude with Russia to defeat Hillary Clinton. And all this stuff is in plain sight. And of course, Susan is right that you know, Mueller is, is of course, uh, focusing on the stuff that's hidden. And, and we've seen some of that come out already, including that June 2016 meeting between Donald Trump Jr. and Jared Kushner and Paul Manafort and these representatives of the Kremlin who are promising dirt on Hillary Clinton. And I'm sure that we will see more of that kind of hidden collusion emerge. But what's, what's in plain sight is shocking enough and would have been enough, I think, to bring down any previous president. Rosa, just focus yep. in on the on the collusion issue. If you were going to make a case that it had already happened, that we've already been able to prove it, what would you say? Uh, I think that some of the some of the things that Max and Susan have just mentioned. Uh, I think the fact that <laughs> Trump suggested himself uh, that the Russians should release the emails on Hillary Clinton. Uh, I think the timing of the uh, communications between Stone uh, and WikiLeaks, um, the timing of communications between other senior Trump people, including Don Jr. and various Russian officials. That that you know you you don't among other things you'd make the argue you'd make the argument that that it is simply impossible for Trump not to have known, uh, given the context of the campaign. Um, every single. It's beginning to appear that every single senior person in his campaign was <laughs> up to their eyeballs in in uh, in Russians, uh, and that there is just no possible way for Trump not to have known that. I think that's a you know it's an interesting point. It's very sort of sort of right there, and maybe it's just an obvious point. But you know, it takes me a little while to get to these things, Susan. But in some ways, it looks like what Mueller is doing is building a case where he's going after every single senior person who was close to Trump in the campaign and during the transition and immediate after and showing that they were involved because that then shows that either, you know, Trump knew or he was beyond incompetent. He was oblivious to 
to a point that's that's almost unimaginable. And that one after one, I mean, Jared seems, and I'd be interested in your take on this, but he seems right in the crosshairs now. And somebody in the you know national security establishment thought it was important enough to leak the information that Jared is not going to get a security clearance because there are serious concerns about it because they didn't want people to continue to overlook that and him to continue to have this clearance. So it it does seem like he's sort of picking off one at a time. Yeah, so I don't I, I think it's always dangerous to sort of, uh, you know, assume we understand, you know, Bob Mueller's strategy. Um, you know, he just he plays it so close to the vest. And um, I think one of the things we've learned, uh, you know, over the past several months is these, you know, just out of the blue thunderbolt indictments come down as like it's it's there's a lot going on that we don't know about. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know that it's clear. I think it's possible that sort of Mueller is, um, you know, is going after everybody, whether or not it's intentional or not, you know, the timing of the indictments, uh, you know, and, and the, um, you know, the order of the indictments, he certainly is building this unbelievably compelling narrative, right? So sort of the groundwork of what did the Russians do? Then what was Paul Manafort's role, right? Going back, you know, 10 years, you know, what is, what, how was he financially compromised, right? And so really at, what we're starting to see is each of these indictments, they sort of, they, they interlock together. It's another sort of brick in, in, I, I do think that there are going to be more indictments. I, I think if I was Jared Kushner, I would be incredibly nervous. I mean, look, uh, I, I think you have to you have to think about uh, you know in the transition period that you know that period in which they just won the the surprise election. Um, you know, lots of people appeared to be lying, including people like Mike Flynn. Um, you know, a, a campaign that you know there's sort of this instinct towards dishonesty in the first instant, and I think sort of a sense of of invincibility. Right? What are you people going to do to us? Think about all the people who have spoken to either Mueller or congressional investigators at this point and haven't been honest. Think about what they're thinking about right now, right? As they're, you know, they know what they said. The only question mark over their heads is, can Mueller prove that I lied? You know, and what is he going to do about it? Um, you know, so I think there's a huge group of people that uh, that have a reason to be nervous, uh, a huge group of people that are potential cooperators. You know, the, the Kushner thing really, I, I think it gets back to, you know, the reason why we have anti-nepotism laws in the first place. You know, I think it was a, a, either a Wall Street Journal or a Washington Post story um, uh, that had the little tidbit that, um, that Kushner is... Uh, outside of the NSC, the individual who requests the most information from the intelligence community, right? So not only is he someone who is not deemed trustworthy under the ordinary processes, right? And, and it actually is pretty unusual for DOJ to personally brief the White House on, hey, you know, this person's clearance, this person probably isn't going to obtain a clearance at all. That's an indication that there's something really, really serious. This is not paperwork issues. Um, you know, we know that Jared had to had to file amendment after amendment after amendment because apparently the guy just has the world's worst memory, right? Oh, I forgot I had a hundred million dollars over here. Oh, you know, it turns out I did meet with all of these foreign nationals and it just never occurred to me. Um, you know, so this sort of it's what we're seeing is is the bringing together of both 
you know, uh, uh, the the tendency towards dishonesty with sort of the original sin. I, I don't even know that we can track back to the original sin of this White House, but one of the original sins of this administration, which is, you know, hiring his own family members, which means that when you have administration officials that are transgressing norms and in some cases transgressing laws in ways that are potentially profoundly consequential for U.S. security, you know, for the for, for the actual American interest for all these sort of of all of the the American America first, uh, you know, fist pounding. Um, that when that occurs, uh, these people are considered unfireable, right? So, um, so exactly what everybody warned was going to happen, um, you know, which is that these people were going to be brought into the administration. They weren't going to play by the rules, and then they weren't going to be held accountable. Um, you know, they they insisted over and over again first that they weren't coming, and then that they were going to be treated like any other staffer. You know, now we're going to have the proof laid out in front of us. Other staffers who weren't able to obtain a clear are now being forced out of the White House. Uh, if Jared Kushner is not also forced out of the White House for not being able to obtain a clearance, you know, I, I think that that you know it it uh, starkly demonstrates the lie. And you know, whether or not that will be something that can have any sort of legs in the media, um, you know, I, I'm not hugely optimistic about that. But I do think it's it's a really really important element of the story. Yeah, and on the nepotism on the nepotism uh, front. Uh, not not related to Russia and collusion, but you know another example of the reasons we have norms against nepotism. Ivanka Trump asked at the Olympics whether she believed the many women accusing her father, the president, of engaging in sexual misconduct. Uh, she not inappropriately said, "Look, that's kind of a inappropriate to ask his daughter. I'm his daughter. He's my father." The only problem with that, of course, is that she's also. Uh, uh, you know, a staffer at the White House uh, whose official role is to represent the United States and to advise the president of the United States. And those are just those are incompatible roles. Well, on top of that, yeah, she's, further, she's advising further. him on women's issues. You know, it's it's not right. Well, it's, I didn't want I didn't want to pile it on here. Yeah, but it's not it's it's not it's not entirely uh, irrelevant. Look, in the, in the few minutes we've got left here, let me sort of shift the question a little bit. To something we touched on earlier, and turn to you, Max, and that is, um, we talking about. So you know, Susan mentioned, well, what can they do, and to us, and, and we've talked earlier about, sort of, you know, other other infractions that they're getting away with, and there is this kind of bigger issue here of complicity on the part of the Republican establishment, not just accepting Trump, but 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 some some people in 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 the Republican establishment becoming crazed Trump loyalists or deeply involved in this thing as actors like Devin Nunez or apparently one of the the truly worst of the US Congress Dana Rohrabacher um, you know who's sort of in the midst of all of this Russia stuff and then there's the broader issue of the McConnells and the Ryans and the so forths who are essentially saying, well, we're we you know we're not, we're not going to push this very hard, and the committee chairs who are not pushing it, and you know if this were Obama and these guys were in charge, there would be emoluments hearings up the wazoo. They're not doing it, and then you've got this little smaller cluster of the true believers who gathered at this CPAC meeting, which I was shocked to to hear had nothing to do with sleep apnea. For I all thought that CPAP would, but in any event. Um, they were they were gathered at this CPAC meeting, and Trump gets up and gives an absolutely 
deranged speech. And they're cheering like crazy as he, you know, puts forth nutty ideas like arming teachers, which he's gone since further and further and crazier and crazier on. And then when uh, Mona Charon got up and said a couple of words that sounded almost Max Boot-like in their common sense, she was booed out of there. She had to be escorted out because because she was so she was so apostate that she was actually sort of speaking the truth. And I just, Max, you have a special perspective on this. And I'm just wondering, you know, what what is this weight of complicity on the GOP? And is it so far gone that, that you know, sensible people like yourself have to move on to something else? I think it's pretty far gone. I mean, I'm not at all regretting the fact that the day after the presidential election, I ended my my time as a Republican, which I had been throughout my whole adult life, and re-registered as an independent because I understood that this new Trumpified Republican Party would be fundamentally incompatible with my conservative values, or as I prefer to call it now, classical liberal, because even the word conservative itself uh, has been tainted, and it, it, it's now become essentially a synonym for Trump lackey. And I think what we've seen over the course of the last year is the the eagerness with which uh, most conservatives, so-called, are eager to jettison one and any principle that they might have uh, in their uh, thrall uh, to Donald Trump. And so you see this Republican Party that used to be the law and order party and that now uh, is, uh, is, is creating vast conspiracies uh, uh, with the FBI in the center and seeing the FBI as this deep state malevolent force uh, you see this Republican Party that used to be dedicated to family values now defending a president whose lawyer paid off a porn actress who endorsed an alleged child molester who employed in the White House an alleged wife beater. Uh, you know, this party that used to be uh, in opposition to, to Russian aggression now, uh, re- you know, is backing up Trump and his unwillingness to do anything to prevent further Russian incursions into our elections or to punish Russia for their intervention in our 2016 election, on and on and on down the line, pretty much every principle and value that the Republican Party once espoused, uh, they have now jettisoned. And, you know, it's not, it's, it's gone so far beyond where they were about a year ago, where it was like, oh, you know, we can, we don't have to criticize every Trump tweet, uh, but we're going to get tax cuts and all this other stuff, judges out of him. Well, they've gotten the tax cuts, they've gotten the judges, whatever you may think of that. Uh, and it's not like they've lessened their, it's not like they're any more willing now to criticize Trump's egregious uh, abuses, whether, you know, it's firing the FBI director or, you know, uh, uh, writing off the entire continent of Africa as a shithole or, you know, just so many offenses, it's hard to keep track. I mean, even just in the last few days, Axios was uh, had quotes that, uh, Trump approves of the way that the Philippines is dealing with drug dealers, which of course involves sending extrajudicial hit teams out there to kill people indiscriminately. Uh, it's no longer shocking that a president of the United States believes in something like this. And, and you know, I, I guess it's not shocking anymore that the Republican Party uh, refuses to publicly disapprove of his conduct. And more than that, they're really complicit. They've become accessories to obstruction of justice most spectacularly in the case of Devin Nunes, as you mentioned, who was leading this onslaught to uh, malign the hardworking agents of the FBI and 
and Bob Mueller and his team who are trying to uncover what actually happened here and defend our national security. And they are facing an unparalleled assault on their integrity based on nothing whatsoever other than these crazy conspiracy theories that keep getting exposed time and again. But that doesn't slow, uh, you know, people like Devin Nunes down. And and I think the real, the real uh, disgrace here is not just Nunes, who is transparently a clown. Uh, the real disgrace is people like uh, Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell, who are supposed to be the adults in the Republican Party and are doing nothing whatsoever to rein in uh, these abhorrent excesses. And so this is, you know, this is not the, the Republican Party I grew up with. This is, I don't, you know, I really don't understand how anybody uh, with a scintilla of moral uh, or intellectual sense can possibly pledge allegiance to this gang. I just have to say, and I, I don't think I've said this before on here, but the Trump era really begins for me on election night when we were doing an event uh, tied into election night, and Max was one of the speakers there, and I was moderating it, and I was walking around this room full of people that were gradually becoming drunker and drunker, and a very elegant woman walked up to me. In the middle of it, she was wearing a trench coat. It was all buttoned up, and she said, I have to leave, and I was like, okay, um, goodbye. Really wasn't sure what was going on, and she said, yeah, I have to go throw up, and it was Max's wife. <laughs> and it was, it I hope was, that wasn't a comment on, on your hosting capability. <laughs> no, no, it was a comment on, it was just to me, that was the turning point. You know, it was like prior to that, Trump wasn't going to win. And then when she walked up and said that, it was clear that was the moment he was going to win. And the first sort of, you know, the sort of the canary in the coal mine was Max's wife's um, stomach distress. Um, <laughs> yes, that was, that was. Uh, no offense to to our genial host David, but that was not one of the more pleasant nights of my life. Uh, that was yeah. it. Be it began with comedy and turned into nightmare. Yeah, it sure it sure did. Um, Susan, before we go, um, I know you've been you know you've you've been in this period maternity period. You're going to come back to work. Where where do you expect this this Trump thing to go next? Where do you expect from a legal perspective us to go? from where we are here. I know you very wisely said we don't want to guess what Mueller has to do. But as you look at it, just with a sense of logic, what is the what are the next couple of steps of unfinished business? Um, so, you know, in, in the realm of wild speculation, um, I, I think we'll see more indictments and I think we'll see a lot more indictments. Um, and so I think the question becomes, you know, at what point is somebody indicted who's sufficiently close to Trump or, or something happens that sort of sparks the simmering constitutional crisis that we've all been sort of, uh, uh I think holding our breaths and, and hoping doesn't come. Um, you know, Trump is, uh, uh, you know, he's so uh, uncontrollable and mercurial, ultimately, that, you know, uh, this investigation, despite sort of Ty Cobb's fervent uh, wishes to the contrary, is nowhere near wrapping up. Um, I think that there might be a major legal confrontation over the president testifying um, uh, or uh, or responding to Robert Mueller's subpoena if he, if he won't agree to be interviewed. Um, I think Mueller will win that case. Um, I think he'll easily win. It might be a very long and, and prolonged 
good legal battle. Um, but I, I don't think that, that Trump is in, in good legal standing here. And so I think that that Trump interview um, uh, is one sort of possible inflection point where he, uh, you know, he decides either to fire Mueller um, or, you know, we've, we've seen that uh, that his attorneys don't want him to sit down and have the and have an interview um, because they're concerned about, quote, an unfair perjury trap. Um, you know, that, that makes it sound as though Trump could be somehow tricked into lying. You know, no, perjury requires a, a mental state. You have to know that you are lying about a material fact when you lie about a material fact. Um, and so, you know, sort of this, despite them trying to sort of cast it as, oh, you know, poor Trump getting ensnared by Mueller, um, I, I do think that uh, that if Mueller uh, does manage to get Trump to sit down and he lies, um, you know, that could that could provoke a very significant crisis. Uh, I think if somebody gets indicted, that that sort of is a red line for Trump. I think that if Trump feels as though uh, there's serious investigation into him and her, him or his family's uh, financial dealings, um, you know, then he might lash out you know, in God knows what way. And so that's sort of uh, what I'm keeping an eye on, sort of, I, I think that it continues to progress. The question is, you know, how far does Trump go, uh, you know, before he does something, right? In the, in the words of his tweet, somebody do something, um, you know, will no one rid me of this meddlesome priest? Um you know, and, and then the, the big, giant, you know, million-dollar question, and, and one that I really, really fear the answer to, in part because of exactly what Max was describing about the Republican Party, is whether or not, you know, the congressional majorities decide to do anything about it. Um, and I think that's the moment at which serious institutional failures, uh, you know, serious institutional failures in Congress, you know, th that we could be getting into the realm of just sort of truly irreparable damage. Well... Um, Rosa, or we're in our will last totally 30 fine. seconds, and I have to <laughs> say that sounds... <laughs> I think Susan said it all. <laughs> it, well, no, I was going to say, that sounds just as kind of a downer note as you would normally end I, things I, That's why I love Susan. <laughs> yeah, well, you guys have really been a, a treat, you know, upbeat, and, uh, <laughs> you know... I fear I for should, the republic, and I'm really glad say we're down to our listeners that if David sounds a little less upbeat than he usually does, it's because he is staggering through this podcast with the flu. It's true. I'm not in the third <laughs> sub basement. I'm actually in the fourth sub basement in, in the, the isolation ward. You know, I'm, I'm not. I'm not allowed to come within a reach of most people. But we must stagger on because this is, in fact, very important stuff and. Uh, and we love all of our, you know, deep state radio listeners out there. And we're so glad that the numbers are growing week after week to heights that, frankly, we never thought was possible. Um, and um, dozens and dozens of you. And we, uh, uh, we, you know, we feel that having conversations like this are important. So thank you very much for joining us for this episode of Deep State Radio. Thank you, Susan, for being here with us. Thank you, Max, for being here with us. Thank you, Rosa. Um, and uh, please come back when our next episode, when, in fact, what we're going to do is use Max's um, great new book, The Road Not Taken, uh, as a jumping off point for broader discussion about America and the world right now. So thanks to everybody, and we'll see you next time. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. 
Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.